0: Welcome back to our teaching in the book of Genesis. Now, the last time we were here in chapter 36, we were reading or dealing with the genealogy of Esau, and that is what the scriptures call the Toldot, which literally means, we translate it, I'm sorry, account of or generations of. And it basically means trying to say what became of Esau, okay? And what became of Esau, was his five sons, as well as his 10 or 11 grandsons. We saw Esau moving into the region of Mount Seir and dominating or conquering the Horite people and Esau becoming a great tribe within itself. And that is Edom. They became the Edomites. And we saw the prosperity of Esau even in his own day. As the scripture spoke of the different chieftains, and the kings that came from out of Edom. And so what we saw in a, in a distinction, a contrast is what we're going to see also too, concerning Jacob who is named Israel, and that would be the name being used as we continue on. But the contrast is that which Esau attained very quickly, that is the blessings, a material blessing. Let me say it that way. Material blessings, if you'll let me use that word in that way, but material prosperity, Jacob was yet to get these things. We're going to see Jacob still basically sojourning in the land as a shepherd, okay? And so it ends, basically, it ends in chapter 37 and 1, which is where we will be continuing our discussion for today, the issue concerning Esau ends with the idea of the separation between the two brothers, Esau inheriting Mount Seir and Jacob inheriting the land of Canaan, even according to the will of God. All right. With that all being said, so now let's go to chapter 37. And in chapter 37, we are going to be to concentrate on Joseph, the son of Jacob. Now, Jacob lived in the land where his father had sojourned, in the land of Canaan. These are the records of the generations of Jacob. Joseph, when seventeen years of age, was pasturing the flock with his brothers while he was still a youth, along with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report about them to their father. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than all his sons because he was the son of his old age and he made him a very colored tunic. His brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers. And so they hated him and could not speak to him on friendly terms. Okay, now remember what we said concerning verse number one of 37. It actually belongs to the end of chapter 36. That is it it completes. The discussion of what became of Esau, the told oath of Esau, because notice in verse number two, it starts all over again. These are the records of the generation of Jacob. This is the told oath of Jacob. So it's a different section in a sense. But nevertheless, so verse number one just simply lets us know that Jacob is now dwelling in the land of his father, Uh, uh, Isaac, which we know is in Hebron, Kiriath Arba, Hebron, okay, in the land of Canaan, Jacob's possession. Now, verse number two gets into the section, the told off of Jacob, that is, once again, and it'll help you to understand it really good when you think of it in these terms, what became of Jacob, and what became of Jacob was Joseph. And here's where we see the transition. And now even let me give you some preliminary um, comment on these things. Do you remember when I told you guys about the issue concerning Dinah, the daughter, and I made a lot of to do about Dinah going out into Shechem to visit, to socialize with the Shechemites. Remember that? as well as we saw the issues. Okay, we know what happened to that. She was raped. Her brothers, Simon and Levi, wanted revenge, and they killed all the men of Shechem. In doing so, Jacob uh, was angry with his two sons. They had, God had to save them, tell them to leave Shechem and go to Bethel and go there. But the point that I was trying to make with you guys, and I, I hammered that point quite a bit, Pay attention. Remember, because before Jacob went down into Bethel, what did he tell his household and those who were with him to get rid of all of the foreign gods? So here's the problem that we see, the continual threat to the Israelite people, the continual threat to dilute their ethnicity. That is, remember what uh, what the Shechemites wanted to do. They wanted to intermarry. With the with the with Jacob and his descendants, with the Israelites, they want to intermarry with them, and also we saw what the infusion of idolatry amongst the Israelites. So, and we know also that God later on said, and we brought all of this out earlier, but I just want to remind you that do not marry intermarry with the Canaanites, the people of the land. Canaanites are immoral people, but God said what they would do is in this intermarriage, they would ultimately turn your hearts to worshiping their gods. And this would end up in the destruction, the discipline of Israel, as well as they not so much as lose their purpose, but they jeopardize their divine purpose. And remember, we said that the divine purpose of Israel was to preserve the knowledge of God. And the worship of God for the benefits, not only of themselves, but for the Gentile nations, as God said in Genesis chapter 12, verse number three, when he made those initial blessings to Abraham in you, that is in your seed, all the families Gentiles of the earth. Shall be blessed. That is the purpose of the Jewish people. And but this purpose was constantly coming into jeopardy. Okay? Now, and we saw that big time concerning Dinah and the whole Shechem incident. But this is a problem, it was problematic. We'll see it even again as we leave chapter 37 and move into chapter 38. And oh, I do love chapter 38, and we're going to talk about that, the Lord willing. But we're in chapter 37. But that's the issue that I want you guys to see. It is the constant threat of idolatry, the constant threat of Israel intermingling with the Gentiles. And so what we are going to see, what we are beginning to see is the hand of God in preempting. God is acting. He knows what's going on and God is keeping his purposes with the seed of Abraham. He's thwarting them from their own sinfulness uh, uh, from what they are always apt to do. The mingling with the Gentiles, the footing with the idol gods. And this is why we see the scriptures at this time, God beginning to raise up Joseph and the narrative now concentrating on the person of Joseph and Joseph will be the primary character from 37 for the most part. I'm speaking in general terms. From 37 to chapter 50, it will basically, this total dote of Jacob will concentrate on Joseph. As we see, God will use Joseph to move. Okay, let me just slow it down. To prepare for the preservation of Israel in the land of Egypt. And God will move them into the land of Egypt for their preservation. Because notice they will be moved into a place called Goshen. And because of the very nature of the occupation of the Israelites, shepherds, they will be placed away from the Egyptians. That is, they will be separated from the Egyptians for the Egyptians saw, saw shepherds as an abomination. But the point is now they are placed in As as in a place that's separate away from the Gentiles where they don't have to worry about losing their ethnicity or get so involved in the idolatry, even though we know some of it is going to seep in anyway. But the whole point is it is God's act, his sovereign act of preserving his people for his purposes. Okay, And even though in that preservation, there is also discipline. There is discipline and hardship and suffering, but nevertheless, it works out for their good according to the purposes of God. And so what we're beginning to see here in chapter 37 is God acting in advance in taking care, uh, taking care of the Israelite people, protecting them even from themselves intermingling with these Canaanites, okay? Now, I know I went far too far in that, but what I did want you guys to see was, you know, when you read all of these narratives, it is important to to go back and put all of these things together. Not only see spiritual concepts, but also see the mind and the hand of God that's at work. And And so that's why I gave you all that information. So what you're about to see is God's preparation to save his people from themselves. And he begins to do that, do that by raising up Joseph. Okay. And that's the idea of all of that. But anyway, so now let's go back to the commentary on the text. So it tells us that Joseph was 17 years of age. We know that Joseph was born in Haran of Laban and he stayed there. Uh, he left there when he was about six years of age. And so therefore we have 14 years has passed. Remember Jacob first went down into Sukkoth and then he moved on later to Hebron, which is where he is now, but the whole point from Sukkoth to Shechem to Hebron. Okay. Just in case you guys are trying to hold me tight on all of those things, but nevertheless approximately 14 years has passed and now Joseph is a youth at, at the age of about 17 years of age, and likewise he is a shepherd too. And so the first thing that is lets us see concerning Joseph is, is that Joseph it gives the picture of Joseph as a good son. Now, even though it the point is, his brothers, Joseph was with his brothers, that is, um, the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah. Now we remember that Bilhah was Rachel's, who is Joseph's mother. Rachel's maidservant who she gave to uh, her husband as a, as a wife. Okay. And she bore children. I think it was Dan and Naphtali and Zilpah was Leah's maidservant who she gave to Jacob as a wife and she had Gad and Asher. So that's who he was with those boys. Okay. And we can understand him being with those boys in the shepherding thing. They were more closer to his age, but nevertheless, he was with them in the field in their shepherding, and so they did something. The scripture didn't tell us what it was, and it was not good. And Joseph brought back that bad report to his father, and this began to cause problems between Joseph and his brothers because his brothers were seeing him as a goody-two-shoe and a tailbearer. There is nothing wrong with what Joseph has done. If the boys did something wrong. Joseph did the right thing in telling their father, but nevertheless, that's the picture that we have of Joseph. And then it continues on to tell us about Jacobs, who is Israel, and we will refer to him as Israel, but I may refer to him as Jacob so that you'll know that I'm talking about the person and not the entire clan from time to time. But nevertheless, we find out that Jacob loved Joseph more than his other sons. This is not good at all because we understand that this was a problem that existed between Jacob and his brother Esau in how Jacob's mother favored him and Jacob's father Isaac favored Esau. It's never good to have favorite children, but nevertheless, we do recall that Jacob's favorite wife, Rachel, Joseph was her firstborn son and we can kind of see what was going on with Jacob in that manner. But nevertheless, he made him what is called a coat of many colors or a coat of varied colors called sometimes a tunic. And this was basically usually a long sleeve shirt. I'm sorry, long sleeve coat. And it was some sort of a long coat. What it was was it made the one who wore this coat, It gave him a distinctive appearance. And so by this, by giving Joseph the coat of varied many colors, Jacob was saying that Joseph was his chosen son to lead the family. Joseph was the chosen son to lead the family. And that was Jacob's choice. And this would cause problems with the brothers because remember now, Joseph was actually Jacob's 11th son, but he was the first son from the principal from his wife, Rachel. Remember Jacob had two principal wives. Let's say two primary wives, Leah and Rachel. The other two, Bilhah and Zilpah were the non-principal wives, sometimes referred to as the concubines. So the principal wives, Leah and Rachel, Joseph was the eldest son of Rachel, his his favorite principal wife. But the reason why we see him giving that is, let us go all the way back when we find that Reuben, Jacob's eldest son, slept with his concubine. And when Reuben slept with Jacob's concubine, this uh, 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 removed him from the birthright. Jacob no longer considered Reuben stable or worthy of the birthright for the eldest son. So therefore he gave the birthright to the elder son of Rachel. Okay. I've said too much on all of that, but nevertheless, Joseph was favored of his father. Verse five. Then Joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, please listen to this dream, which I have had. For behold we were binding sheaves in the field and lo my sheaf rose up and also stood erect and behold your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheaf then his brother said to him are you actually going to reign over us or are you really going to rule over us so they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words Now he had still another dream and related it to his brothers and said, Lo, I've had still another dream and behold, the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. He related it to his father and to his brothers and his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have had? Shall I and your mother and your brothers actually come to bow ourselves down before you to the ground? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. All right. So now we go even to an issue. Okay. First, there is jealousy because his father has given him the coat of many colors that indicates that. Jacob has made Joseph, given him the right of the firstborn, the leader. He has made Joseph the leader of the clan, the 11th born son. But nevertheless, to exacerbate the situation, Joseph has dreams. Now, one of the fundamental purposes of these dreams seems to indicate remember, for these dreams, what is being implied is. These dreams are given by God. And we see also the sovereign hand of God in working these things out. We'll talk about that as we get to it. But nevertheless, these dreams are given by God. And what they do is they verify Jacob's choosing of Joseph to be the leader of the family, the the right of the firstborn. So that's basically what it does. But another thing that the dreams do is they exacerbate the situation. If you think the brothers were envious because he was wearing that coat of many colors, they are really envious now all of a sudden when Joseph has these dreams of grand jewel of which he is ruling over his brothers and even his entire family. So in the first dream that Joseph had, he has an agricultural based dream by the which in the field, they were in the field and there were sheaves. Remember they imagine like wheat that's bound up and tied together and Joseph's sheaf stood in the center and all of his uh, 10 his 11 brothers stood around him their sheaves were symbolic of them and their sheaves bowed down were laid over prostrate on the ground in obeisance that is not reverential worship but a sense of reverential respect respect to one who is a ruler and so their sheaves bowed down to Joseph's sheaves and when Joseph told them that And and it seemed a little foolish for Joseph to do that. It seemed a little foolish because why he already knew, of course, that they were jealous and envious of him. And remember the scriptures already said they could not speak peaceably to him. They couldn't even speak nice to him. So he knew that. But nevertheless he went and told them the dream of how they, he, Joseph would one day rule over them. You know, that's going to cause problems. But what I want you guys to see again is this, the sovereign hand of God is in the background. Even though Joseph is saying and doing these things, he is not simply saying and doing these things of himself alone. God is involved. So because, okay, let me say it. Let me, let me, let me just say it right now. It does not matter. Okay. God is sovereign. That means God is in absolute control. Of all things, and God can accomplish His purpose. He can accomplish His will. It does not matter whether men do it consciously, they are aware that God is fulfilling His will. You don't have to be aware of it. Or even whether or not men do this in a voluntary manner. It could be voluntary, involuntary. It doesn't matter. God will accomplish His will. And he accomplish it accomplishes these things through men. Now, since I'm here, let me continue on to say, we're gonna look at, and, and most of you guys are probably already familiar with how Joseph's brothers mistreats him. They're gonna mistreat him very bad. They're gonna they're gonna contemplate on killing him, but ultimately decide to put him in a well and end up selling him into slavery. But we're gonna find out once. All of this is done. And there is a meeting back with Joseph and his brothers in Egypt. That's Genesis chapter 50. But we're a, little, we're a little ahead of time. But I want to make you understand it. That Joseph will say that what you did to me, you meant it. You, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Now, that's the point that I'm trying to stress to you guys. God is sovereign. It doesn't matter. What is in the hearts of people, God can still use what's in people's hearts to accomplish his purpose. It was God's purpose that his brothers that I'm sorry, it was God's purpose that Joseph should be sent to Egypt. Remember all that stuff that I told you about the preservation of Israelite people. God will use Joseph to do such a thing, to preserve his people, to keep them from their intermingling with the Canaanites. All of this is God's purpose. It's God's purpose to send him to Egypt. So what did God do? God will use the evil, sinful anger and jealousy within his brothers to accomplish his will, which goes again to the principle that I just stated. It doesn't matter whether you do it voluntarily, involuntarily, whether you are aware or whether you are unaware or whether something is good or something is bad. That's when Paul says once again, Romans 8 and 28. And we know that all things work together for the good to those who are the call, those who love God, those who are the called of God. So we see all of this working for their good. We see the manifold sovereign work God of God's hand. Okay. Enough of that. But so he has the dream irritates the brothers. The brothers are angry because they immediately understand what's going on in the dream that Joseph is one day saying he will rule over his brothers. But if that wasn't good enough, he has another dream and that idea was being implied. God gives him another dream. But this time, it's an astrological dream where there is the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars. And we see all of them bowing down once again to Joseph and the idea of the son and, and this Joseph not only told his brothers, but he also told his father because he understood something about that. And so uh, the son being representative of Jacob, the father, the mother, being the mother of Joseph. Now we know that this time, Rachel is dead. So it probably refers to Rachel's handmaiden, Bilhah. Okay, who was probably taking care of Joseph being a surrogate mother, so to speak, at this time to Joseph. And of course the stars, the 11 stars would simply be his brothers. Now his father was a little offended at the dream and kind of scolded him a little bit and said, shall your mother and I and your brothers bow down unto you because of course the father is what the head of the family. And it would be somewhat obscene to think that Jacob as well as his mother, we know Bilhah, would actually bow down to the son. But the sense of the dream is Joseph will one day rise to a, 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 a position of preeminence and being a great ruler to the point where they all would one day bow down to respect Joseph in this manner. But nevertheless, even though it was a, 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 a wild dream that Joseph had and Jacob was somewhat offended, but nevertheless, Jacob himself understood how God speaks to men in dreams. Remember in chapter 28, God even spoke to Jacob when he was fleeing his brother Esau in a dream. And so Jacob understood that this thing possibly, could be from God. And so therefore he kept him in the back. He kept this in the back of his mind, what his son was saying unto him. Okay. Now moving on. Verse number 12. Then his brothers went to pasture their father's flock in Shechem. Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers pasturing the flock in Shechem? Come and I will send you to them. And he said to him, I will go. Then he said to him, Go now and see about the welfare of your brothers and the welfare of the flock and bring word back to me. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron and and he came to Shechem. A man found him and behold, he was wandering in the field and the man asked him, what are you looking for? He said, I'm looking for my brothers. Please tell me where they are, where they are pasturing the flock. Then the man said, they have moved from here for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. Okay. So now we see Joseph's father calling him and saying, okay, your brothers are out pasturing the the flock. And what I want to do is I want you to go and check on them, check on the flock and bring me back word. And so we can see the relationship of trust that is between Jacob and his son, Joseph but he sends them to check on the flock and they had gone down into Shechem. Now it's Shechem where they went in and remember Simon and Levi killed all the men of Shechem and Dathan. I'm sorry. And Jacob had to leave that place. That's where they had all of that trouble. Why they are back in Shechem. We don't know. The scriptures doesn't say, but nevertheless, they are there back in Shechem outside of Shechem. That is pasturing the flock and Jacob wants a report. So he sends Joseph down to get the report. And the idea is bring him back, inform him, bring him back a report, let him know how the brothers are doing. So when he gets there, he doesn't find him there. He sees a man and a man sees Joseph wandering in the field. That is the idea of simply looking for his brothers. Joseph asks him, hey, you know where my brothers are? And he said, I heard they went down to Dotham. And so Joseph went on further down into Dotham. Now, this was about a totality from Hebron, about, I think, about 65 miles. So we got about a three, four, maybe even a five day journey and it is in walking in which Joseph did. One of the pictures that we see concerning Joseph also too, before I leave this section is now remember that the atmosphere between Joseph and his brothers, it was one of hostility. The brothers did not like Joseph, but nevertheless, when Jacob said that he would send Joseph to his brothers, especially being significantly far away, Joseph didn't rail against that. He didn't say, Oh dad, I don't want to go see the brothers. You know how my brother, no, we can see the picture of Joseph being one of obedience. And now since I'm even at that in all of scripture, there has never been a spoken word of disobedience or even the sense of sin in Joseph. Now that is not to say that Joseph did not sin. Why? For scripture says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So Joseph did sin, but the point that I'm stressing here is there is never any uh, point made in scripture of Joseph sin. And so what we basically have is the idea of Joseph being a good and obedient son. Since I'm also here, let me bring out this too. Sometimes a lot of people make what we call types, types of Christ. They say that Joseph or maybe some of the experiences of Joseph is a type of Christ. Say for instance, here being an obedient son or even in the scenario of the father, Jacob sending Joseph to inquire of his brother in a sense, trying to make Joseph like Jesus sent by God, the father to inquire concerning Israel, right? The idea is a type, but once again, what is a type? And so let me define it. A type, is normally an example, usually given an example, whether a person or a deed, or maybe even a place, usually given somewhere in Old Testament, in the Old Testament, concerning something that Jesus Christ himself would do, or it speaks of the person of Jesus, but Jesus does it in a more, in a greater sense, in a more exaggerated sense. So that's why we call it types or we say that it is typological or a type of Christ. And so some believe or say that Joseph is a type of Christ. Usually when there are types in the uh, uh, of Christ or types in the new Testament, it is spoken in the new Testament, but Joseph is nowhere spoken in the new Testament as a type of Christ. Okay. There are certain things that are similar with Jesus similar with his obedience similar with his being sent by his father, similar as Jesus will later on. See this was sold for 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave. Joseph would be sold for 20 pieces of silver, the price of a slave at that time. So there are similarities, but it doesn't necessarily mean that Joseph was a type of Christ. Okay. All right. Now let's continue with our commentary. Joseph is looking for his brothers in Dothan 18. When they saw him from a distance and before he came close to them, they plotted against him to put him to death. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Now then come and let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. And we will say a wild beast devoured him. Then let us see what would become of his dreams. But Reuben heard this and rescued him out of their hands and said, let us not take his life. Reuben further said to them, shed no blood, throw him into this pit that is in the wilderness, but do not lay hands on him that he might rescue him out of their hands to restore him to his father. So it came about when Joseph reached his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic the very colored tunic that was on him. And they took him and threw him into the pit. Now the pit was empty without any water in it. Then they sat down to eat a meal. And as they raised their eyes and looked and behold, a caravan of Ishmaelites was coming from Gilead with their camels bearing aromatic gum and balm and myrrh on their way to bring them down to Egypt. Okay, let me stop there. Now that's not the full context of everything, but it's lengthy. So let me just break it up and stop right there. So Joe, so Joseph finally arrives in Dothan, and the brothers see him afar off, and immediately the hostilities in their hearts begin to rise to to the surface. And notice the nickname that they gave to Joseph. Look here comes that dreamer. And that's referring to, of course, you know, the dream that Joseph had of ruling over them. And so they immediately devise a plan to kill him. So they're going to strip him of that coat and cover it with blood and, and kill him. And then they are going to present it to the father. But the whole point is as they devise the plan to kill him, all of a sudden we see that this is disturbing to Reuben. Remember, Reuben is Jacob's eldest son. It is the same Reuben who slept with his father's concubine. And so when Reuben heard of the plan of his brothers to kill Joseph, Reuben didn't, he objected to that. He didn't want to do that. And so Reuben convinced the brothers simply to put him in the pit. And the idea is put him in the pit and let him just simply die of starvation and thirst. All right. But the mindset of Reuben was Reuben was not going to let him die. Reuben wanted to come at a convenient time when the brothers weren't watching. No doubt. Rescue Joseph out of the pit and return Joseph back to his father, Jacob. Now this, there is no evidence whatsoever that Reuben was doing this to, to acquire or I, I won't say reacquire, but maybe that is the term too, but to, to attain the birthright, To get it back from Joseph. There's no evidence of that. Clearly Jacob had already given the birthright to Joseph. So we can speak admirably concerning Reuben. It's a good thing. Reuben is doing a good thing right now because Reuben still has a sense of responsibility. Even though he doesn't have the birthright anymore. He is still Jacob's eldest son and he feels a responsibility to his father as the eldest brother and even to Joseph at this time. So Reuben is simply trying to save his life. Okay. So notice, so when they saw him, the brothers saw him, they grabbed hold to his coat. That is the coat, the the very colored coat. And notice the scripture brings that out again because it is the very symbol of their father's favoritism to Joseph. It is the symbol that Joseph is the head of the family. It is the very essence. It is the material essence of Joseph's dreams that one day he will rule over his brothers. And so his brothers are saying to themselves, saying amongst themselves, we're going to take him, we're going to strip him of this coat and we're going to kill him. And now once we kill him, now let's see what becomes of his dreams. In other words, let's see now, will he, rule over us like father intends, like his dreams intends, like Joseph hopes. Let's see if any of that is gonna come into fruition. But what they don't understand is this, and remember what I told you guys, riding in underneath all of these things is the sovereign hand of God. By the very nature of taking, the very act of taking Joseph at this time and everything that's going on, is ensuring, it is absolutely ensuring that what Joseph had dreamed will come to fruition. Because why? We're going to see, notice, as the story is developing with these Ishmaelites, it is showing you God is at work moving Joseph out of the land, into the land of Egypt. And we all know the rest of the story, how they end up, all of the brothers end up coming to Egypt, actually doing just what Joseph said they would do in the dream, bowing down to Joseph, Joseph's father and mother and his whole clan of Jacob coming into Egypt. But we're not going to go into all of that again and again. But by there, the brothers here, their actions, it is solidifying. You cannot resist the plan of God but anyway so they took him they put him in this cistern which is nothing more than a well a well that has no water in it and they and they dumped him there okay as they began to observe these ishmaelites coming from Gilead all right so now let's deal with that let's go to verse number 25 Joseph is in the well the brothers are actually nearby Then they sat down, verse 25, to eat a meal. And as they raised their eyes and looked, and behold, a caravan of Ishmaelites was coming from Gilead with their camels bearing aromatic gum and balm and myrrh on their way to bring them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it for us to kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him for he is our brother, our own flesh and his brothers listened to him. Then some Midianite traders passed by. So they pulled him up and lifted Joseph out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. Thus they brought Joseph into Egypt. Okay. So let me just stop there and deal with that issue. So now they sat down to eat a meal. And it shows you the callousness of the brothers. Okay. Go, go into the text. You have just, you can imagine Joseph was fighting and resisting them. They overcame him, stripped the coat forcefully threw him down this particular well. And we'll find out later on as the brothers themselves are considering when the brothers themselves are considering when they come before Joseph, they don't recognize him as Joseph. In the beginning, but when they finally get into Egypt, they're going to say, talk about how they heard the lad crying out. But the point is, Joseph in the well crying out, begging and pleading, "Them brothers, please let me out! Please let me go!" And their heart is so callous that they can sit down and eat a meal. Sad that God is going not only work on Joseph he's also going to work on the hearts of his brothers because such men are not ready to be leaders of the tribes of Israel. But nevertheless, in the grace and mercy of our wonderful God, he will not only transform perfect Joseph through the things that he suffer, prepare Joseph for leadership of the entire tribe, but he will also prepare his brothers as well. But anyway, so they see, some Ishmaelites. And we do remember Ishmaelite. Ishmael was the son of Abraham by the handmaiden Hagar. Remember Sarah's handmaiden Hagar, right? So we see some of his descendants in a caravan on their way to Egypt bearing things that they want to trade in. All right. And also it mentions Midianites. We remember that the Midianites were the descendants of Abraham and Keturah. Remember after Sarah died, Abraham married another woman by the name of Keturah. One of the sons of Keturah was Midian. And these are the descendants of, of, uh, of Midian, the Midianites. And sometimes we'll see, especially here in the text, that Ishmaelites and Midianites, these terms are sometimes used interchangeably. But the point is, the brothers saw them and they recognized that they were on their way to Egypt on the King's Highway. The idea of the King's Highway was a highway that was always prepared and maintained by royalty for the movement of troops and you know and stuff, things of that nature. But anyway, on the king's highway, going to Egypt to trade. And so Judah had a good idea. He had an idea of profit. Judah said, Why should we just simply kill our brother? And no profit in that. And plus the fact Judah also had certain concern. He is our own brother and our flesh and blood. And we don't want to put our own hands to the killing of our own flesh and blood. I got a bright idea. Judah said, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and whatever they do with him, that's their business. And so they they all agreed and the brothers sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. And now Joseph is a slave in the hand of the Ishmaelites on his way to Egypt. Now, let's continue with the text. Now, Reuben, verse number 29, returned to the pit and behold, Joseph was not in the pit. So he tore his garment. He returned to his brothers and said, the boy is not there. As for me, where am I to go? So they took Joseph's tunic and slaughtered a male goat and dipped the tunic in blood. And they sent the very colored tunic and brought it to their father and said, we found this please examine it to see whether it is your son's tunic or not. Then he examined it and said, it is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. So Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. Then all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, surely I will go down to Sheol in mourning for my son. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold him in Egypt to Potiphar. Pharaoh's officer, the captain of the bodyguard. All right. So now we come back to Reuben. Remember it was Reuben's desire to have him put in the pit and later on return and and get Joseph out of the pit and turn him to his father. So Reuben is clearly not present when the Midianite, the Ishmaelite traders, when they are sold, when the other brothers sell Joseph to these Midianite traders. So Reuben now finally comes back, looks in the pit, Joseph not in the pit and Reuben said, what in the world has happened to Joseph? They let Joseph know that they sold, let Reuben know that they sold him to these Midianite traders. Reuben is like, woe is me. What am I to do now? So Reuben is truly heartbreaking because His heart was set on delivering Joseph back to the hands of his father. So nevertheless, they have to continue on with the plan. So they take the coat of multicolors, no doubt. They kind of stripped it up to make it look like some animal shredded Joseph up and they took the blood of a goat and they poured it on the animal to make it look like it was Joseph's blood. Something that's interesting here, too, is the act of deceit, the act of deceit. You remember when Jacob deceived his father Isaac and how he used the goat skin to deceive his father? Notice here, it's goat's blood that is now being used to deceive Jacob himself. It's almost kind of like what went around, almost like came around, so to speak. But nevertheless, so they take this thing to their father. And look at the callousness once again of the brothers. And so they present to their father. They sent it to the father. They sent it to him. Is this your son's tunic? They didn't even say, is this our brother's tunic? Notice how they distanced themselves from Joseph. Again, highlighting the hatred and the jealousy that they had towards Joseph. But nevertheless, Jacob looked at it. He was able to identify and he assumed as the brothers had hoped that he would, an animal had probably a lion or something. They were uh, rampant in that part of the country in those days, too, especially a lion or something. An animal had torn Joseph to pieces and had carried him off. And so Jacob began to mourn greatly for his son. And then it said he put on sackcloth on his loins. Sackcloth was nothing more than coarse garments, coarse garments, you know, garments of some kind of animal hair that would be very coarse to the skin. And this was done as an indication of mourning. And that's all that means an indication of mourning and so he mourned for Joseph many days and the rest of the family Joined with Jacob in his mourning, including the brothers who knew Joseph was not dead and what they had done, and they mourned with their father. How can you sit there with your father in all of this that you have done knowingly in all of this pretense, deceit, and mourn for your brother with whom you first planned to kill, but ultimately you decided to sell him for money into slavery? But nevertheless, they mourn for him. And notice also, too, a passing point that I want to make it said, and all of Jacob's daughters. And it uses daughters in the plural. This could be an indication, once again, remember the Bible talked about Dinah being the daughter of Jacob, Dinah, the daughter of Leah. This could be an indication that Dinah is not the only daughter of Leah, but it also could be an indication of the wives of the sons of Jacob. Okay. And it could be referring to them as daughters as well. But nevertheless, so Jacob in mourning says my soul will go down into Sheol because of my son, Jacob or to my son, Jacob. Sheol is simply the place for departed spirits. And so Jacob was simply saying that in mourning, he will go to be with his son in death. He will mourn unto his death until he meets his son in the place of departed dead. Okay. And so finally, chapter 37 ends with Joseph being sold by the Midianites. Remember I told you Ishmaelites, Midianites sometimes used interchangeably, but it is these traders to whom Joseph was sold to. They sold him to Potiphar and Potiphar was the guard of the Pharaoh. And the idea, when it says he was Pharaoh's officer, captain of the bodyguard, he was the head head cutter. He was the captain of the beheaders of the beheaders of. So he was basically over and probably nearest to the Pharaoh. Now let me make some comments on that. This sets Joseph up to be close to the Pharaoh. And since even though I'm not here, let me give you guys a little understanding too. Coming to the household of Potiphar, Pharaoh's chief, let me say bodyguard. Let me say it that way, okay? Brings him near into the castle, into the palace of the Pharaoh. So when Joseph finally goes to jail, and I know I'm way ahead of time, but hopefully you guys are aware of the story of Potiphar's wife trying to get Joseph to have sex with her and Joseph refusing. And then she sets him up and Joseph ends up being put in prison for that. He ends up in the King's prison, Pharaoh's prison. Why? Because Potiphar is the Pharaoh's bodyguard. So he doesn't go into a common prison. He's in the King's prison. And this is how we can see Joseph in proximity to the Pharaoh. So that once the Pharaoh's, a cup bearer and and his and his cook and his cook come and have their dreams and they relate joseph directly to the pharaoh see in other words it's god's sovereign hand in bringing joseph to power to fulfill the dream you 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 just can't miss it these things are not coincidences it is being directed by the sovereign hand of god okay guys i didn't want to get into all of that with joseph but nevertheless i think it is still needful for us to see god's hand in the events of this story to ultimately and don't forget it guys to ultimately preserve the nation of israel preserve their ethnicity preserve them in their purpose keeping god the knowledge of god the worship of god so that they may share him one day with the gentile nations all right guys thanks for joining me in all of that join me next week as we get into chapter 38 now chapter 38 is sometimes considered to be a confusing or a dizzying chapter concerning judah but it is such a beautiful chapter and you definitely want to join me on that teaching all right guys see you next time